Hey everybody. Welcome. It's the Geekwiss Muscles. Hey everybody. Geekwiss Muscles Podcast. It's about science, technology, spirituality, and something else. I think I pushed the wrong button. Welcome. I think I pushed the wrong button. Yeah, whatever. And hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Geek with Muscles Podcast. Yes, it's been such a long time since my last podcast. If you've read my blog, geekwithmuscles.com, you know that I've been dealing with some issues in my personal life regarding post-COVID depression, COVID isolation, the loss of my mom. And so I'm just super excited to be here tonight to get back into the swing of things and super excited about our special guest tonight. Uh, I think everyone's going to be really uh, wowed by this one. So, John Robert, if you can't tell, he is my brother. Yes, he is. So, John Robert is a retired police detective from Miami-Dade Police Department, having worked 29 years in law enforcement as a police officer, a detective, and even a hostage negotiator. Yes, very cool. John is currently consulting, doing educational outreach, and most recently, he is the author of his first book, Burglary, a very personal crime. Please welcome to the Geek with Muscles podcast, my brother, John Robert. John, it is so cool to have you finally on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. I really enjoy being here uh, with you and uh, being able to address your audience of course absolutely now this is your first podcast so i promise it doesn't hurt all that much and just relax and you'll have a good time and i understand you have another podcast coming up which is very cool so i so appreciate the opportunity to be interviewing you today i have a whole bunch of questions because this is really interesting topic and i think it's a topic that a lot of people don't even think about most of the time until it actually happens to you and i think that was part of the reason you decided to write this book, Burglary, a very personal crime. But we're going to just digress just a tiny bit. And I want to get some background information from you. And I kind of want to know, starting off, like, what made you interested in law enforcement to begin with? Well, that's uh, a good question. Uh, It actually goes all the way back to when I was in grade school. And uh, I was sitting in front of my school one afternoon. And, you know, as kids were being picked up by their moms, dads, or whoever, and I've spent minutes and then hours waiting to be picked up, and I had not been picked up by for whatever reason. You weren't alone there, by the way. <laughs> I, okay. okay. I got you. I got you. So, so as, actually, I mentioned the story. I tell the story in the conclusion part of my book, you know, reflecting back. You know, I'm sitting there on this, like, cold concrete bench and wondering, you know, what am I to do? And lo and behold, a police officer pulls up in a marked police unit and basically asked me, well, what's going on? And I told him, no, I'm here waiting for my mom or dad to be picked up. And he goes, well, uh, you've been waiting a while, I guess. And I said, oh, yeah, that's true. And he said, hop in, I'll take you home. You know your address. And of course, as as I did know and could direct him to the house, he had me jump in the car. And next thing I knew, I was being shown all the neat 
aspects of the police car, you know, the lights and sirens and the police radio was going on. And I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, from this day, you know, I reflect back at that moment and it, I just, uh, it was kind of like I got the fever, if you will, wanting to be just like him. It was a life-changing moment for you, something that oh, yeah, totally sure. made an impression Com on you. Coming to the rescue of us in sorts, uh, you know, I was obviously very young. You can imagine, you know, I was worried and upset, didn't know what was going on. And this guy made a huge, this police officer made a huge difference Wow! In, in, for me and uh, impressed me. And then, of course, I went on to watching police shows and so forth and so on. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Especially in our household, there was no shortage of mysteries. We were always watching Columbo, uh, right. that sort of thing, which kind of leads me into my next question. So you, you eventually get into the police academy. You become a police officer. I actually remember going to your graduation from the police academy. And so speaking of Columbo... When did you start to realize that you had this sort of sixth sense for solving crimes? Because as you read through their book, and we'll, I'm going to bring up some more examples later on, you just, it almost very, very quickly realized that, wow, you're kind of like a Columbo sort of, you're, you're doing things that probably a lot of police officers or detectives overlook. How long did it take you to realize that you had this sort of talent? Well, you mentioned Columbo. That's pretty cool. I mean... For most folks, I guess younger folks, they wouldn't remember that it's an older detective TV show with Peter Falk, and I remember him. Yeah. Well, he played a, a great detective in that show, always scratching his head, but coming up with the answers. Yeah. And uh, but uh, I guess it was just a progression of things. You know, you go through your career as a young police officer, and it's really something about just being able to be still, if you will, and perceive what's going on and having a sense of awareness. And actually, that's a lot of what I base the book on, you know, a sense of having awareness about you, about your home, your family, work, the business, so forth and so on. Awareness is key to everything. And so that's basically why I actually call the book Comprehensive Guide to awareness and prevention. I think that's really an interesting point because I often find that I find people completely unaware of their surroundings and unaware of what's going on. And it's very annoying to me when I'm like walking behind somebody and they have, and I'm trying to get around them while I'm walking the dogs or just at the mall or anything. And everyone seems to be so focused on other things and not really capable or or they don't want to be aware of everything that's going on around them. And so I, I wonder if there's a genetic factor there because I always find myself super aware of people approaching from behind, you know, that sort of thing. So I think there's that's not a skill that's very common. Now, when you were early on in your career as a police officer, were there any role models that right away you started you know, seeing either in your department or, or anywhere else for that matter? Absolutely. They're actually not just one in particular, but several different, whether it was officers or you know, even civilians that folks I knew and spoke with. And as, uh, you know, you go through life, we meet people and, right. and having conversations and relationships with folks. 
we pick up on things and we say, you know, that's very intriguing. You know, that's, that's something that I like and I think I'll use it myself. So you're a police officer and you start working your way through the police department. How long did it take before you became a detective and you started doing burglaries? And Well, actually, it was early on that I wound up going to detectives. Uh, probably, it would say, within two years of being oh, wow. an officer on the street because uh, I happen to have a young look about me. And actually, they, they use that to their advantage by one of the first detective assignments I had was being placed into the Narcotics Bureau. And I was placed onto a uh, joint federal task force involving oh, wow. specifically juvenile substance abuse. And the outlook, uh, the object of this whole task force was to target juveniles using and or selling, distributing narcotics. And this is and, all during the time of Miami Vice, 21 oh, Jump yes. Street on TV. I mean, so <laughs> this was all very, you know, growing up and seeing you do this, this was all very cool to see you doing all of this. And exactly. I remember being told that if I saw you in public, I couldn't say, hey, John, what's up? Because you could be undercover. And I remember you growing the facial hair, the scruff, and that you even got your ear pierced. So I remember, and the cool cars used to have an IROC Z. I remember you driving, and everyone was like, man, your brother drives a kick ass car. But yeah, so. You're bringing me back. Years I'm bringing now. you back, right? Yeah, it helps have a really good memory. Actually, as. Uh... As I went through the years, I, you know, at one point I became a field training officer, training the cadets out of the academy. And uh, the one thing I would always tell them is to formulate their own self, if you will. You know, put together from what they would draw from me, whatever I had to offer, or any other field training officer or any other officer for that matter. Put together what they would eventually become being their own, you know, coming into their own, basically. Your uh, outward appearance or your, the, the thing that made you such a success in life in doing what you were doing is just taking little pieces from everybody, totally a product of, of sort of your environment. Absolutely. And, and, you know, always being willing to learn. You know, okay. I feel that life in and of itself is a learning process. It's never ending. We, never stop working to better ourselves, to reach new goals, strive to be better. And so I was always open to any input from anyone that I worked with or had any association with. No matter how many years of experience they had or lack thereof, I was willing to listen, willing to hear it out. Again, it's a matter of just being open and willing and uh, to go forward. That's a lot of what I did throughout the career to the very end. And I guess part of that learning experience, being open to like what you just said, you start being open to recognizing different behaviors in people and that women in particular can be really affected by burglary. They will even th go as far as to throw away their clothes when they're burglarized. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. It, it kind of drives to the center of what I wanted to convey in the book. You know, again, being that the book is titled Burglary, a very personal crime. 
speaking of it as a personal crime, uh, everyone I ever had contact with always expressed the, the uh, effect that the burglary had upon them. Whether it was men, women, or children, all are affected, the family as a whole. That was one of the things that touched my heart and made me even more, I guess you would say, eager to help them and connect with them to ease their pain and come to a resolve for them. And so that meant not only investigating the case and finding the bad guy or girl, let's say, that committed this burglary. It was about giving them more information, giving them support, advising them on what to do to be better going further and being better as they continued on with their life and being able to adjust to what had actually happened to them. So in as much as many people spoke of the psychological effect, the personal effect, the one that was likened to being very much violated, there were folks that required to go to counseling, families that went to family counseling together. And I would encourage them to talk with each other, have a sit down perhaps if you had a situation where children were affected or right. involved or they had found out about what had happened and have a, a conversation as a family, you know, sit down in a environment free of dis being disturbed, free of any distraction, I should say. Right. And setting some ground rules, uh, meaning that I know that sometimes, especially with children, you have an older brother, sister, younger, what have you. And the dynamic is one by which maybe one of them doesn't feel comfortable about talking about their true feelings. So you have to set those ground rules and it's up to the adults at that point to say, okay, here we are. And, you know, it's going to be okay to say anything you feel. We want to hear you, your feelings. We don't want to have a discussion about the burglary itself as much as what are you feeling now? It must be really hard to be at a crime or be at a burglary and, and see the kids. And like you just mentioned, their feelings are really, really important. Having children yourself and being the father of a son and daughter, did that really hit home for you? Yes, uh, being a father as well is uh, really something that you take to heart and you see and you can re associate and relate to victims and their experiences and the children as they are affected by the crime. And that's probably a positive thing when you're dealing with families because you have that that personal perspective. So it helps more than it hurts. Absolutely. There's actually a difference, right, between burglary and and robbery in the state of Florida that actually surprised me, right? There's different technical information in this book that I'm learning. And, right. you know, you think robbery and burglary, you think, oh, they're the same thing, but they're not. You want to explain that difference? It's uh, pretty basic in that burglary is uh, the entering into a premises, let's say your home or your business, a structure or a vehicle, as they would refer to in the law books as a conveyance, uh, without consent of the owner and they're in committing an offense. Whereas uh, the robbery is more focused on the actual taking of property by force or fear. So that you have 
a what they would now classify as a personal crime. Okay. And therein there was the conflict that I had with the two crimes. I found that, well, you know, as much as I see the victims of burglary and the pain they suffer, I felt this is also or as well a personal crime, yet in or by Florida statute, it's actually classified as a property crime. This led me to, again, put my efforts into addressing the crime itself uh, more as a personal crime and fighting, or uh, I should say, in pursuing my career, pursuing an effort to change the face, what I call the face of the crime forever. So that's really interesting about the different aspects of the different crimes. Now, statistically wise, while you were writing the book, you mentioned that a burglary occurs about every five minutes in the state of Florida during during the actual time that you were writing the book. So that seems like a whole lot. There's burglaries going on all the time. And I know that when you see like websites with ring the doorbell that is so popular right now, you see a lot of it, but you don't hear a lot of people talking about it as much. I, at least I feel that. Do you think that some people just keep it to themselves and don't share the experience with their friends and family because of that psychological aspect we talked about? Sure. You have people that uh, are a little hesitant to report certain crime, any crimes for that matter. Uh, burglary is included, you know, um, based upon a number of reasons. It's, again, being that it is such a personal crime, it's a personal thing that someone has gone through. And some feel even maybe embarrassed or some feel that it's maybe not even a big deal to them. There are 101 reasons how we process what occurs to us in any given situation. That's what I was wondering because it just seems like I don't hear about it as often as I should. I do see more of it, though, like because of technology. Now, I asked you earlier about when you realized you had this thing for solving crimes. And your book has these little sections, which I really, really enjoy, which are these like tiny little anecdotes of things that you've come across in your career, which are, are really cool. And there's one called The Bubblegum Burglar. And to me, this was really fascinating because you're doing an investigation and you're approaching, you're just knocking door to door and you see a piece of bubblegum blocking the people uh, uh, at, of one of the doors and you get this you get this sort of idea to test that bubble gum for dna to me that was fascinating so how does that sort of what is that is that like an inner is that a little voice that tells you that how do you come again i'm i'm comparing you to colombo so forgive me but <laughs> i think it's uh perhaps something that you know again it's just that as a police officer as a detective you know you're out there and you've been to uh, many, many crime scenes, and you've had much experience perhaps on uh, different levels. And with me personally, I was once uh, actually processing crime scenes as part of my duties. I was actually an evidence technician at one time where when I worked the road in a regular patrol capacity, I had a dual role as to be called to scenes to process these scenes for evidence 
And so that in and of itself helped me be a better detective because, you know, when you know and you have these different skill sets that you learn over a period of time and uh, with, ex you know, general experience that you have within, you know, your world, if you will, you pick up here and there. And then it is whether you want to call it a little voice or a feeling or what it was something that was taught to you in a classroom or you experienced in the field, you know to say to yourself, wow, you know, it just so happens to, to be that this door is with this bubble gum stuck in the peephole, although it's perhaps 150 more feet away from the victim's door, it's a possibility that perhaps it was placed there for a purpose because it's facing where the point of entry, as we would refer to in our business, the point of entry to the apartment. So the you condo. tested the DNA, and, and was it positive? We tested. Yeah, so it came back, the DNA, you know, we got a hit on the DNA, and it came back to a career criminal. Oh, wow. Uh, who had committed multiple burglaries. Uh, and uh, as it so happened, he was at the current time of it, then when we got the information back from the lab with the hit he was actually serving time in Broward County and uh, a resident of the Broward County Jail so he was already in custody something for another else. case all because of that hunch you had with the bubble gum to me that's that's just amazing and your book is filled with these little stories of these sort of amazing little things that have happened to you in your career and how they relate to burglary and how that this has just culminated in all this experience you have that's really fascinating. That really makes you a real expert in what this book is all about. Another aspect of crime fighting, if you will, or detective work, is actually doing interrogations and speaking to people. And I was really amazed at your technique in this book. I want you to explain something to me, but I... I'm going to backtrack a little bit and give the audience a little taste of one of the examples of your superpower. I like to call people's abilities superpowers, by the way. With that being said, I'm going to play a clip from a TV show called SWAT. And they actually have different names for it. It's Miami SWAT, Dallas SWAT, whatever particular city they're in. It's a really cool TV show. And you are highlighted in this show doing what you do best or one of the things you do best. Uh, let's take a listen. Just got advised over the radio that units in the rear perimeter um, have visually verified that he does in fact have a Molotov, Molotov cocktail in his hands. The negotiating team have successfully built a bond with the suspect. Okay, and that was you talking uh, Noel off a ledge, and he was in a pretty bad place. And you were uh, a negotiator. You used to do hostage negotiating and all of that people skills. And most people don't have people skills at all. So to have the kind of people skills where then you take it a step further and you bring it into your career as a detective – Explain to the audience what a Happy Meal is, because I thought this was fascinating. <laughs> well, the Happy Meal comes from the fact that uh, I felt it was important that when I sat and spoke with the subject about whatever we had arrested him or her for, it was about connecting, you know, and uh, not so much just jumping into the case and 
having to ask this person, okay, confess, you know, you don't want to, you're just not walking in there and expecting this person to open up to you right right away. So what I like to do was to get to know the person a bit, introduce myself and just talk to people on a one-to-one basis and very calmly talk about whatever came to mind, really. I mean, we would just have what I would call a conversation that would hopefully lead to having rapport with this person. And you would buy them McDonald's. Now, of course, right. (laughs) That's where this came in. Once I started like getting them to feel a little bit more comfortable with just having a little bit of a talk, I'd say, hey, I know you've got to be hungry. Would you like me to get you something to eat? And this basically would beat the typical bologna sandwich or jungle juice, whatever they were going to give them as they, as, as the, the people, they would, the uh, criminals themselves, the subjects themselves, would refer to going to jail and having their bologna sandwich and jungle juice. That's how they would all, they all said the same thing. Oh, wow. Okay. Kind of a thing about it. Right. And so uh, I would say, hey, you know, Tell me what you want. We'll, we'll get it going. And I said, there's some McDonald's right across the street. And lo and behold, they, and I said, I, I can get you a Happy Meal. And it's, <laughs> I would just put it that way. And uh, and it worked. Yeah, you know, usually Big Mac or whatever it was. And whether they wanted extra onions or not or whatever <laughs> they needed, I would make it happen for them. And they would love it. You know, it, it was a great icebreaker and again further uh another tool if you will to let these folks feel at ease and you know talk it out and uh you have to see past the fact that okay they've committed a crime but let's be honest not everyone starts out as a criminal people have feelings people have reasons for doing what they did and uh, a lot of things come to mind when I talk about that. You know, I had one burglar who he was just a struggling father with a newborn baby. Uh, this is another story I kind of talk about in the book where, you know, he was just trying to make ends meet. And then he found that he had no other alternative but to go out there and do what he knew was wrong. All in all, he was probably a decent guy, but then just made the wrong choices right and wound up getting them arrested and put into a bad situation well your ability to connect with people is definitely amazing and i love the way that even though you're dealing with people that have broken the law you treat them as human beings i for one will do anything for a double quarter pounder with cheese (laughs) i i really will i really will now now i was uh really amazed I keep using that word with your book. I apologize, but it's a really, really good book. And I was really amazed Thank that you. for some burglaries, there there's so much more than just stealing property. As some of these burglaries, the people doing them, they're getting a adrenaline rush, a high from it. And I thought that was really interesting that you pointed out that burglaries that happen at night which are called cat burglaries and i thought that was just like a made-up term for the movies i didn't realize that that word cat burglar was like a real thing that it's such an adrenaline rush and although it's rare 
that there's even been cases where the burglars will watch people sleeping and masturbate while they're doing it. That's some pretty messed up shit. Um, I'm allowed to curse on the podcast. So are you, by the way? Uh, so, <laughs> you want to talk about that? That 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 that's just that goes beyond stealing, doesn't it? That's just some absolutely. And this is again another just more evidence to show what a personal crime this is and how people are truly affected by this crime and why I really believe they need to read my book because you know. They need to be aware, people need to be aware of what really goes on and in every aspect of what goes on in burglaries. And uh, this particular burglar, a cat burglar that you mentioned, typically uh, upon me interviewing these folks, they expressed that they had done maybe 20, 30, 100 burglaries and found it that it was starting to be pretty much boring. a boring thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they felt, you know, I want to make it a little bit more exciting. And they've come to this decision that perhaps if I try to enter at night and do the burglary while folks are sleeping. Now, of course, not all cat burglars or burglars are going to enter and carry out a sexual act while inside. Right. Uh, that's very, very rare. Yet, what I was trying to show and write about in the book, it's it's a progressive thing. Uh, they would perhaps just start out getting into a home at the nighttime, knowing people are in the house, and they would steal a few things and then get out of the house without being detected. That may, in fact, then escalate to where now they decide, well, I'm going to go upstairs or if it's, you know, being that it could be a two-floor upstairs-downstairs thing, and I'm going to see if I can see who's here, see if I see people in sleeping. Oh, wow. And then, of course, again, escalating as they go along after a number of times because once they've done or committed so many of these, they, again, perhaps become bored and want to push the envelope if you will right to to get that exhilaration uh, it's almost like when i would going back to the days that i remember speaking with some crack addicts that they told me they were always trying to get back to that first high they ever had oh wow okay so yeah it's like that adrenaline is definitely like a drug. and Absolutely. I always think that uh, people who are into extreme sports are addicted to that rush as well, like skydiving. And, you know, it, it's just you, – I'm, I'm sure you, I, you ain't going to get me to jump out of a plane, that's for sure. But uh, <laughs> now you're, like, telling us some stuff that is very, like, wow, you know, probably never thought about that. And – that's sort of like on the freakish side, but your experience has led you to really get some useful information as far as what people think burglars do or think is the best thing to tell their children. And we've already talked about kids and we've talked about how, you know, they're affected in this crime. But ever since I was a little kid, I know that my parents always used to tell me something. And you you have uh three commercials, I believe, uh, that are really cool. And one of them touches on this. I'm going to play that audio clip. We want to keep our children feeling safe. 
we tell them there aren't monsters under their bed. However, when we leave them at home alone, we often tell them something that can actually lead to a horrible situation. So, for our listeners out there, so what is this thing that uh, parents are always telling their kids? Well, uh, the typical advice uh, or the instructions, I should say, uh, given to children is that when you hear a knock at the door, don't answer the door. You're home alone without us there to protect you. Don't go to the door. Don't answer the door. Stay quiet and ignore it. And that always made sense to me as a kid. I was like, okay, yeah. Sure, sure. And most children would follow that advice without a problem. And it was my experience that that was totally the wrong thing because 99% of the burglars I interviewed always spoke of trying to verify whether or not the residence was empty. Oh, was wow. vacant because they didn't want to go into an occupied residence. Why? Because it would then enhance the charges they would have to deal with in court. Oh, okay. So, so they don't want to deal with it. No, no. They stay away from all, most all burglars don't want to enter an occupied home. As I say, 99% don't. Because then you're getting into a whole different realm, and now we're going back to what we were talking about with maybe along the lines of robbery or like a home invasion, that type thing. Burglars are solely interested in entering and getting whatever valuables they can get and exiting. Okay, now, so I've held a lot of children in my arms. Okay. Pursuant to an in progress going out on the radio, because hence. Once there's no answer to the door, the burglar, the next thing, he's breaking through the sliding glass door at the rear or coming in through a side window, whatever that happens to be to make entry. And the child is then, of course, totally freaked out and screaming and traumatized from what they're, they're seeing. Probably traumatized for life. What do you recommend? I mean, the kids, I'm assuming so, the kids don't want to open the door, but what do they, do they say like their parents so, are somewhere or how does that work? Absolutely. So what I do uh, in teaching safety for children and the family as a whole, I have a whole section in the book that provides guidance as to what one can say and what to do and not do. Uh, when dealing with a knock at the door and a way to commit that to most, what I would call muscle memory, okay, which is repetitive action or, or right. like training. So I actually instruct families to take what I've given them in the book and practice it, do scenario training. And that works not only for burglaries, it could work for fire or any other type of emergency that uh, comes along that's really that's really interesting that's really uh excellent advice i'm sure it's super uh important it's super convenient it's super it's smart to rehearse something with your family over and over again you talk about children being you know affected by crimes uh we talked about women throwing away their clothes a lot of people probably don't think that after being robbed and after being screwed over by 
the burglar, you're going to get screwed by your insurance company. You're going to be a victim twice in some cases. Is this correct? Well, they talk about it being victimized twice because once by the burglar, of course, who's taken all of their property. And then they talk about the insurance company that now has not uh, paid them for the value of their property. And this is really, I, I, I want to say to the people that are listening out there, this is an aspect of burglary I didn't even think about because I was always under the impression of, oh, if I get robbed, oh, you know, just tell them, oh, yeah, they took my laptop, they took my iPad, they took this, and I'll get one back. I didn't realize how difficult it is. And I, I think that your book was is really a cool guide to making sure you don't run into that situation. Absolutely. And this is another big chapter I put in a book with uh, dealing with insurance coverages and such. And I, it's also linked to the proper having proper inventory of your property, of your, your valuables. So I speak about this in the book, uh, dealing with property, identification of the property, inventory, and dealing with adequate coverages from insurance. And again, it's just as you said, a lot of folks don't even think about it until it's too late. I think we could probably do a, a podcast exclusively on the insurance aspect because it's so in-depth. And that's what I really yeah. liked that it's you, you go into good detail in the, in the book about this. And, uh, and before Absolutely. we run, before we run out of time, I want to ask you something because it's almost been an hour we've been talking and I can't believe it's wow. gone by so fast. But <laughs> before you, you briefly mentioned, and I think this is a really cool thing. And you briefly mentioned in your book, or I'm sorry, I'm briefly mentioning, <laughs> can you briefly mention in your book what about environmental design and how that can help you in preventing burglary? I thought this was really cool. So what you're referring to is what, we call crime prevention through environmental design. Uh, basically, it's a method by which you can make your home appear uh, not, you can make your home appear undesirable to the burglar. So in essence, it's again, getting to the psychology of what is it that the burglar is looking for? What aspects are they looking for when they physically look at the home and they're standing there. Some people refer to it as casing, as as you've heard, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Casing the home. And so when you institute certain principles of the, we call it by acronym SEPTED, crime prevention through environmental design, they're seeing a home now that doesn't physically appear as a home they would like to burglarize. And you're doing that by putting specific, let's say, plants in position to, to deter as a deterrent value uh, to the residents. Are uh, these plants with another, like thorns and stuff like that? or Plants with thorns and so forth. Uh, I love being, that. Being that I've, I've written a book, but in, in telling folks that maybe what they need to do is consult with their local landscape person or have a landscaper come out and tell them what's good for their specific area. I love that. Very and it's right. suggesting, you know, what to put there. Right. Uh, yes, thorny plants, plants that don't 
offer that much concealment, if you will, for the burglar. Ah, okay, that makes sense you see? too. Because yeah. many cases, you know, burglars, if they see an overgrown yard and plenty of bushes and so forth covering windows or getting in the way of the what I would call the street view of the residence, that those kind of things are welcoming. Why? Because they offer concealment to the burglar in order for he or she to make entry. I know that from personal experience, we had an issue with a wall in the condominium and people were jumping over the wall. We planted, I think, like six bougainvilleas there. We have not had anybody jump over that wall. That is like a briar patch of thorns. Well, John, this conversation has been amazing. And there is so much more to this book, of course, than we, have, we haven't even uh, touched upon so many different topics. And uh, it's just amazing all the different things that go into a burglary and how people can protect themselves and all that information is in there. You have combined experience with your career as a law enforcement officer and the research you've done with the book and outreach that you've done and speaking engagements. You have over 30 years of experience uh, doing all of this. So I want to thank you for being a guest on the Geek with Muscles podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Now, the book is called Burglary, A Very Personal Crime. It is available on Amazon, and it is also available from your website, AVeryPersonalCrime.com. Did I get all that correct? You got it. It's been an honor. I really thank you. And people should just check out the website and see all of what we unfortunately weren't able to get to in this podcast. But there is, as you say, so much more. And there's so much more that I want to share with folks out there to really change their lives. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much again, John. And thank you to everyone listening. And looking forward to having George Therese back on the next episode of the Geek with Muscles podcast. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful night. Good night. Thanks for listening. You can find more of me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and geekwithmuscles.com. We absolutely loved having you. I think I pushed the wrong button. <laughs>